This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. This podcast brought to you by My Patriot Supply. Did you miss the chance to get a 72-hour emergency food supply with free shipping for just 10 bucks? What's wrong with you? Don't worry. Call 888-411-7440 right now. They have a few left, and they're selling out fast. 888-411-7440. What are you waiting for? A disaster? Do it right now. 888-411-7440. And now, the Blaze Radio Network presents 40 Acres and a Fool. Here's your host, Cam Edwards. Greetings from the near frontier. Thank you for tuning in to another edition of 40 Acres and a Fool from the Blaze Radio Network. Cam Edwards, your host at the kitchen table with the lovely and talented Miss E and a baby blanket for Charles Cook's uh, soon-to-be son, who is, uh, I guess, now officially announced because uh, we talked with Charles about it on the show NRA News Cam and Company not long ago, and it is a beautiful baby blanket. Uh, lovely shades of got sort of a uh, sort of a, 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 a blue gray, and then white, and then a navy blue, and it's ridiculously soft. It's very soft. It's seventy five percent acrylic, and it's twenty five percent wool, which but it's also machine washable. I always try to get people baby things that are machine washable, right? Because it will inevitably be spit up upon. And God only knows what else we've had children, right? Yeah. So what's the the pattern called? Uh, it's called I make this up. Um, <laughs> so way back when uh, I got a really cool pattern from uh, another knitster out there, and it was called Fiber Crack. And it's based on Ondas Shale Lace Pattern. And it's O-N-D-A-S. It's Ondas Shale Lace. Okay. And that's more, uh, that's got a lot of yarn overs and, and knit together. So there's this undulating wavy lace pattern. And that's more girly. So what I've done is that I've just taken the method. It's a center cast on. And then I just am knitting from the center out, and I add stitches at each one of the corners and until I get a big square that I'm finished with. With alternating colors. But I alternate colors every 10 rows, and it's uh, since I'm knitting in the round, I can just do a knit stitch. But when I change colors, I actually do it with a purl stitch because I like the way the colors contrast against one another. Um, the other thing I like about this one is we get the dark and the lights against it. It's actually, it'll be a good exercise for the baby's eyes because it'll give it some place to concentrate and focus on. So there you go. The you lights are, and the darks. You are welcome, knitters. I didn't understand a word of that, but uh, <laughs> you were absolutely enlightened now, I'm sure. So congratulations are go. good for you. Uh, and I hope that you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Uh, we talked about our uh, favorite side dishes, and we're going to get to uh, your thoughts on Thanksgiving uh, later on in the program, and thank you so much for uh, sending those emails to Forty Acres uh, and a Fool. That's uh, for Forty Acre Fool at Gmail dot com. That's the email address. We did have a good Thanksgiving. There were uh, there were six of us at the dinner table. There were five pies made, <laughs> which has led more than one person to ask, "Well, who didn't get a pie?" Right? Cause right. They, there were people like, "Well, that means you're one pie short." I'm like, "No." We still have leftover pie. Yeah, it's probably. I mean, there were there were there were. I think you. We'll probably say you had one too many pies, at least. Well, I probably didn't need two pumpkin pies. Probably not. No. But no. Um, but the mincemeat was delicious. But they were different, though. Yeah, the Breton apple pie is amazing. I love that because the crust is so thick you can hold it in your hand and eat it like, like, like a dessert from your hand. You're yes. not supposed to be able to eat pie from your hand. No. The chocolate pecan pie was good. 
but it should have probably been refrigerated the entire time because it was just nothing but a. As soon as I cut the first slice, I let it sit overnight, mm. but I left it on the counter instead of getting it cold because I don't really like pot cold pie. It hurts your teeth anyway. Um, but the, with the first slice, the filling just completely just oozed everywhere. Yeah. So it tasted good. Oh, but it tasted it, delicious. I, and I liked the pie crust. It was a really good crust. Though so I followed the recipe for that crust with that pie filling, but I don't think I'd make that pie filling again. Yeah, but the stuffed pork loin was delicious. The that turned out really yummy. Smoked turkey breast was fantastic. That was also delicious. The sweet potato uh, casserole was fantastic again. Um, the stuffing we you used a cast iron. Pot for well, this it also one, just right? it just cooked too long. It just got burnt on the. There was okay. like a burned crust. But don't worry, that it didn't stick to the cast iron pot. Okay, I'm just I'm just. Does that mean that we get a do over on stuffing between now and Christmas at some point? <laughs> well, I'm gonna do it at Christmas. I was thinking of making a turducken and doing yeah, stuffing but again. We didn't get a lot of extra stuffing. I'll this make. Time oh, all right, all right. So how about this? Over the weekend, we'll do a roast chicken and I'll make stuffing. <laughs> okay. That works. All right. Yeah, I wasn't happy with it either because there's a little bit of leftover, but it has a tinge of burn to it. And I was like, dang it. What did you think about the uh, the turkey breast? I will never eat unsmoked turkey again. Like, I liked the smoked turkey breast so much that I will never not eat it unless it's smoked. Because I don't really like turkey. Mm-hmm. And this, to me, gives it a, a really yummy flavor. And it's got this wonderful smell. I uh, I took the, the two breasts... And I used the Sporting Chef's basic uh, fowl brine recipe, which I do not okay. know off the top of my head. But if you look up Sporting, Sporting Chef, Scott Lathis, Scott uh, his it's his basic fowl brine. Um, and I didn't do anything extra to it. I just sort of did what he had. And I, I let them overnight and then dried them off. And then I think they took about between three and four hours total smoking time. And I used a mix. I kept it at... Two two twenty five between two twenty five and two fifty, I think, mm-hmm. uh, because you wanted it to get to like one hundred eighty or one hundred seventy or something. Anyway, it was it was perfect. It was nice and juicy. It was, yeah, fantastic. it was fantastic. And I used apple and cherry woods. I was uh, at lunch earlier this week, and one of the uh, guys there was saying that his um, daughter in law brined their turkey, and his son in law then uh, roasted the turkey. But did not know that you had to rinse off the so, brine from the turkey. So and so he said. Right? He said the the white meat is like the white meat was actually juicy for once. It was fine. It was okay. But he said the dark meat was so salty. He uh, said it was just it, you couldn't have any of the the dark meat. Well, that's the same. You always make your you know when you're. I don't know how how we've been married for eighteen years. Mm-hmm. So we've had that many Thanksgivings together. Yep. How many different ways have I made turkey? Like, oh, man. <laughs> like when we first started, it was like I was trying to find the best. Roast it upside down. Put butter under the skin. Roast it in a paper bag. Roast it in a roasting bag. Roast right. it the heck with it. Throw it on the fire. Cook it on the grill. Like, seriously, I tried every way possible to try to make turkey into something that I really liked. And we never did actually like deep fry a turkey, did we? I never did do that because I always liked my turkey stuffed and that you can't right. stuff a deep fried. I do have the rig, but I bought the rig so that I could pluck chickens. Yeah. So I'd have a source of like a propane ring with hot water so I could process chickens outside and always have right. a, a bucket of hot water. But So yeah, I have the rig, but I use it for plucking chickens. <laughs> Uh, so we did have a good Thanksgiving. It was it was quiet. 
Uh, it was enjoyable. Uh, I, uh, I did not spend a lot of time online, which no. was nice. Spent uh, a FaceTime with family and just had a, a good couple of days. I hope that it was a, a good Thanksgiving for you as well. And again, we're going to get to some of your thoughts later on in the program. Uh, this coming weekend, we have a chore to do, and it is not the most pleasant chore out there, but it, it has to be done. Yeah, the the little buck that I held over from last season has done his job this year, and I have four expecting does, and so we'll have plenty of milk coming up come spring. But I don't read it. I don't need him anymore, and it's really a pain in the neck to keep a buck on a farm. And keep him healthy, because we don't really have we don't have any fenced paddocks except for the one that he's in now, and right. there's no grass growing, and he can't break he can't graze, and I also can't put him in Electronet because the little bleepity bleep has gotten out of Electronet because he he's he, driven he's, not by his yeah. brain in his head because he's he'll, a, he'll put up with a temporary shock in order to try to get to a doe. Oh, so, yes, and, exactly. And, mate. and um, the only one who's available right now, other than he and he's so like. He's such a horny little goat. He might even try the the lamb because have you heard right. of a geep? Yeah, yeah. There was one in Ireland. Um, uh, the only one who's who could be uh, who isn't pregnant is way too little and young to be pregnant. But that wouldn't stop him because they don't have any morals. Right. Exactly. So, so uh, because they're they're goats. They're goats. They're nasty. <laughs> so yes, we're going to we're going to be butchering that goat this weekend. So when we uh, when we come back after a quick timeout here on this edition of Forty Acres and a Fool, we will uh, talk about. Uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly when it comes to raising goats. Stick around. We will be right back with more 40 Acres and a Fool. You're listening to 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. This podcast brought to you by My Patriot Supply. Did you miss the chance to get a 72-hour emergency food supply with free shipping for just 10 bucks? What's wrong with you? Don't worry. Call 888-411-7440 right now. They have a few left, and they're selling out fast. 888-411-7440. What are you waiting for? A disaster? Do it right now. 888-411-7440. Welcome back to 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to 40 Acres and a Fool from the Blaze Radio Network, the 40th episode of 40 Acres and a Fool. That's... Ooh, look like at that. 160 segments of fun or something like that. We were just talking during the uh, the break about Adele <laughs> and how if you, the lyrics of the song. If you think about it, though, this is a long tradition of popular songs that you really don't want to, uh, uh, you know, read too much into. You really want to avoid actually paying attention to the lyrics like uh, Don't Stand So Close to Me. Right by the police. Yeah, that right? was a creepy song. When creepy. you actually listen. every breath you take. Yeah, even worse. Even like, creepier, hey, stalker. Right? Thank you very exactly. much. Exactly. So I just think you know she's carrying on the uh, the tradition. Yeah, she is. Because I'm like seriously, if if somebody moved a million miles to get away from your drama, um, then you need to quit calling them because you said you called at least a thousand times. <laughs> like that's restraining order. Like so, you need to just back off and. And she even said, there's even a line in there that says, like, well, I guess you're not all that broken up. No, they're not. (laughs) Go away. And I don't understand how on earth, because this one single, she she broke records with, with complete album sales. And I'm like, well, wait, what? 
is is our whole are there a whole like it speaks to the inner stalker and all well that's of what I'm saying is there like, <laughs> this whole really weirdo freak job out there who thinks that if they call like 17 years later to apologize it'll be okay again d- d- I don't think you can read too much into it you also can't knit while we're doing the podcast you're like Madame Lafarge over there just knitting away Les Mis right wasn't that her name I don't know the, the knitter who would I just, tried like, to read that. It was like the... the book that would not end. It was worse than Bleak House by Charles Dickens. It was like, oh. Well, didn't you ever see the musical? Um, no. That's one of the. I'm not a huge musical theater fan, although I was the drama club president back in and high school. And you didn't like going to the theater with me when uh-huh. we went to Oklahoma City. And I, I was the understudy uh, for the uh, the the young male lead role in the University of Oklahoma production of The Music Man when I was like 12. Oh wow. But, I was uh, I was girl number three in um, Anything Goes my senior year in high school. Well, understudy for, I think his name was Winston, uh, meant that I was actually like the third trombone player in the in the boys band. I didn't actually have any lines. If the, <laughs> if the actual actor had come down with the flu or if I had, you know, tripped him down the stairs or something, then I would have been able to take over. But I was a, a good kid and I would never have done something like that. So I, I was the best third trombonist that I could be. I was a scary, uh, well, what, what, I was like a zombie. I can't remember what I was. I was in student theater when I was at Rutgers, and I just wanted to work with the props and the costumes. Right. And I was a child of horror movies. Like, my mom watched all of them. I still remember, like, sitting Christmas Eve with the babysitter watching a really scary movie when I heard Santa's bells go over off over my house, and I hightailed it to bed. It was, like, 1130 at night. <laughs> so I had really crazy dreams of Santa and uh, swamp monsters <laughs> that night. Um, but anyway. I think that actually was a movie, wasn't it? Santa versus the swamp monsters. Probably. Um, so with the Rutgers Theater, I was there just as uh, we were we were troubleshooting some ideas. We were throwing ideas out there and we're trying to write this story. And I just kept coming up with these ideas and coming up with these ideas. Well, Did they all involve Santa and Swamp Monsters? No, no, no. It was This was a Halloween. Uh, that would have been perfect. It would have been like the Nightmare Before Christmas. It, 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 back in the, the time, it would have been perfect. This was more of a uh, this woman uh, inherits a house and goes and finds out that there are you know ghosts and whatever and she ends up getting taken in by the house and made into a beastie oh okay but that was me and like i was so like not wanting to be on stage that it was like right i am on stage so i had to remember like i looked pretty treacherous and at the time my uh my um ex was gonna bring my oldest to come see but she was like two or three years old and i was like no, this is not a little person friendly. We were putting it on for the Camden Public Schools. We invited some of the elementary school grades from the school to come. Okay. And we had it in the theater. And it was a play, and we did face painting and gave out bags of candy to all the kids. But it was scary enough. Like, we had little kids. <gasps> so, but it was it was fun. But I was not planning to act in that at all. I was just supposed to be props. Now, Christmas came around, and the Christmas show we put on, mm-hmm. it was just all props. I had I made a living Christmas tree out of a six foot four dude, <laughs> and he was on the stage the entire time. He's like, I can't believe you made me do this. But yeah, that was better. That was fun. But yeah, that was behind the scenes. But yeah, that was my theater stuff. Wow. I uh, well, like I said, president. Uh, you know, yeah. Well, I was going to go back to president. I was going to go back to the, the the cool thing. Oh yeah. You know? Oh, and I was an extra in. Um, my heroes have always been cowboys, 
which starred Kate Capshaw and Tommy Lee Jones. You were in that movie, really? I was an extra. I was in the crowd. Oh, kind of like rodeo. our daughter was in a crowd in that movie in f- about football. I think so. Yes, very much like okay. that. As a matter of fact, you're a crowd in the you're in the crowd in the background. Gotcha. Uh, which requires you to actually cheer silently, cheer in slow motion silently. Uh, that's right. Weird. That's like like you know, like a, like 500 people doing this, and you get a lunch, and I think we might have gotten paid forty dollars. Yeah, I think our oldest was like it was like fifty bucks a day. And it was having to dress up in winter clothes in the summertime in a sporting arena somewhere <laughs> right. outside of Philadelphia. Yeah, so uh, so we won't we won't be doing any acting. No, this we're not weekend. doing any acting this weekend. Uh, but uh, our buck will have a starring role in the production of Euro the Dinner. Yes, right. Yeah, I think so. I well, I know so because we don't have any more goat meat and. Euros are really good. <laughs> yeah, I found um, that's like the best application. Uh, the there we don't have meat goats. They're little dairy goats, so right. they're, they're not very large. I wouldn't think splotches is much more than fifty, sixty pounds, if that. And then that you're talking about bones and head and guts. So I think when I did uh, another one of the goats that was about the same size, I ended up with maybe seven or eight pounds of meat and a little tiny little rack of ribs. Yeah. So that's why I just went with gyro meat because I just could throw it all in the grinder and turn it into a couple of loaves of gyro meat. Right. So will you uh, will you give us that recipe next week? Oh, just Google it. Um, if you go to Food Network or just Google it, it's Alton Brown's recipe for gyro. Oh. And if you use his method for the loaf. You can't change it up, make it your own a little bit, and we can have a whole segment here. You know, we do four of these a week. We have four of these segments to do every week. <laughs> I give credit where credit's due, and I Alton Brown taught right. me how to All do good fry Alton. and make good gyro meat. I, 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 will, I will, okay, because it's Alton Brown, I will concur. If it were like Anthony Bourdain, I'd say, no, no, change it up a little bit. (laughs) I like Alton Brown. I do, and he's like the science of the stuff behind it. And I have a really good recipe from, I think it's the the bread Bible for pita bread. Um, And then I have another really good recipe for someplace else for tzatziki sauce. So, And last, over the summer, the last time I made it, I was able to use our own cucumbers. Mm -hmm. Not so much this time. No, unfortunately not. But no, not a lot of winter cucumbers that grow in this part of the world. No, in fact, the uh, but the goats, the uh, the remaining goats are are all now uh, in their winter quarters, which includes uh, the garden area. Yeah, so, and it's about a little bit more than a half an acre. It's a six hundred. It's about yeah six hundred square so feet. So it's a little bit more than a half an acre fenced in. Yeah. Uh, so or, yeah, not six hundred square feet, but six hundred feet of uh, of fencing. Yeah, six hundred feet, six hundred foot line of mm-hmm. the fencing area is encasing approximately slightly more than a half an acre. Yeah, so, between seven of them. It's been it's been fun to watch them run around and chase one another, and to see Lola the sheep kind of taking up the the rear. Although she's pretty fast, I got to say, for a sheep. She cracks me up. She was it was pouring rain the other day. And you know how we have they they have all their little igloos. Um, she was instead of being in one, she was just standing there with her head in the door. <laughs> just well, that's the only part she could feel getting wet. I assume probably. Right? Like, yeah, we need to figure out what to do with that one. <laughs> I know. Well, we will. 
Uh, but right now we've we have figured it out. They're they're all in their winter quarters, and yep. only took a couple of hours, and uh, and you were able to even navigate uh, on your ankle. Yes. So you're feeling better. Oh yeah, I I hardly limp. I mean, it can be sore, but it's still swollen mm-hmm. on that one side. It's still a. I'm like looking at it, going, "Am I going to have that big bump forever?" Um, but it doesn't really hurt. It's achy when I stand like after. Uh, I took off Wednesday to cook, mm-hmm. and so between Wednesday and then Thursday Thanksgiving, where I was cooking all day, the two combined days of being on my foot all day. By Friday night, my ankle was killing me. Um, but it's not. Yeah, I can walk around fine, even with the splitchy, sh- sh- sponge-soaked earth that we have right now. Yeah, I, I know the map says Virginia, but the weather says Seattle. It, it's, it's just. Ugh, it's been wet and it's like we've already had a lot of wet and so and we have the moles or mm-hmm. in the backyard so it's just like a landmine of squishy spots and sometimes you never know how far you're going to step down I will say this I will pre- I would prefer this to um Chicago for oh, instance Oh right? I know I was very surprised the week before Thanksgiving a friend of mine who lives uh, just right outside of Chicago said they got 15 inches of snow Yeah no thank you I I, I will uh, listen if we have to have a wetter than normal winter That's what we're I'll supposed to have I'll take a wetter than normal winter with a lot of rain as opposed to a lot of snow I like some snow at least it makes it fun otherwise this is just mud bleep hey, Well those of us who don't get to stay home <laughs> And those of us who have to go to work uh, in the snow, regardless, would prefer not to have a lot of snow. No, well, the the cloudy means that I don't have a really good connection to work. Well, that's true. So that's not good. Well, that that, that happens with snow and with rain. That's true. That is true. But usually when it snows, it snows and it goes away and it's sunny. (laughs) But it's been raining for four days and it's gray. Yeah, well, I believe that tomorrow is supposed to be a... uh, In fact, in the words of Little Orphan Annie... The sun will come out tomorrow. I think. I think you can so. Bet your bottom dollar. My my uh, outlook calendar was so confused because I it it'll show like the next couple of days, and when I looked at it on Tuesday, it was like rainy. Wednesday, hundred percent rainy, and then there was a it was a picture of a sun, and I clicked on it, and it still said hundred percent participation, <laughs> and I was like, precipitation. Oh, precipitation. I was like. Oh no, no! It's like a bait and switch. You do have to participate. I know, hundred percent. By the, the way, on Thursday, the You're no, no half-assing it. All right, listen, we're gonna take a, a quick timeout. Not that you, I need to tell you that. I don't think you're capable of that. Uh, when we come back, we'll have uh, more from the kitchen table. I might talk about. Actually, I, I shouldn't do this because I have a book of my own that I should be hawking, but. I have to tell you about a book that I'm reading because <laughs> it's really good. There you go. Uh, so we'll talk about Bourbon Empire and why you should buy it right after you buy Heavy Lifting by Jim Garrity and Cam Edwards when we come back here on 40 Acres and a Fool. This is 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. The bias against Syrian Christians inside of the Obama administration is well documented. That Mr. Obama is not about helping those who are fleeing religious persecution, and that is what those Christians represent, as they are now targeted in the region. They are becoming an endangered species. Mr. Obama's Lumba McClurk. Oh, we don't want more Christians in this country. We need fewer. We need more Muslims. 
Chris Salcedo. Saturdays, noon to 3 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back, and thank you again for joining us for another episode of 40 Acres and a Fool. I'm Cam Edwards. Miss E is here with me at the kitchen table. Uh, And as I mentioned before the break, I should really be hawking heavy lifting, grow up, get a job, raise a family, and other manly advice by Jim Garrity and Cam Edwards, which is out now and available at Amazon.com. Makes a fantastic gift for the snowflake in your family. It can be given anonymously. You can wrap it up. You can put it under the tree with a little note saying Billy. And it doesn't have to be from anybody. It can be from Santa. (laughs) You can also probably make a donation to uh, the college in your area, I think this is the probably... college library. Like the donate a, library a copy or two be, yeah, of the book, exactly. right? Uh, that's a fantastic idea. Donate a copy even to your to your high school library or to your public library as well. Just pass on the uh, the information and the, uh, the 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 stories within heavy lifting to the snowflakes who need them. Um, but after you read heavy lifting and after you've purchased a copy or five for the holidays. <laughs> Uh, or, you know, if you want to look, there's no reason why you have to stop at five. Right. Uh, you can you can go all the way up to 10 if you want. There are 25. There are 12 days of Christmas. So, you know, really, you can make it a dozen. And it's an green. And it's a pretty color. And if worse comes worse, you can just build a Christmas tree out of, out the books. of copies. Exactly. Exactly. Maybe that's what we should do. Exactly. Uh, but since I've I've read uh, heavy lifting already, because yes, um, I, I, I wrote a lot of it, uh, I, I've been uh, reading other books. And so I would tell you right after you buy uh, Heavy Lifting and you've read it and you've enjoyed it, um, Bourbon Empire, The Past and Future of America's Whiskey by Reed Mittenbuehler is really, really good. And uh, Reed Mittenbuehler, this is his first book as well. Um, Congratulations to Reed because he knocked it out of the park. This is fascinating uh, especially if you are a bourbon drinker, as I am. As a matter of fact, I'm drinking a uh, bourbon called Filibuster uh, at the moment. Well, it's not right in front of me. It's it left it in the other room, and now we've started the segment, so I oh, okay. can't go. I guess I could hit pause, and through the magic of podcasting... Or I could just keep talking about anything I wanted to, and you couldn't edit me out while you left the room. That's scary. <laughs> that sounds like a dare. It also makes me wonder what it is that you want to say as soon as I leave the room. Actually, I was just going to talk about, um, I'm so excited because uh, I re- remember I told you I got this random gift card for Hobby Lobby from somebody, and then I tracked it down and it was a co-worker. Now, yes, for me, I am I, leaving the room, by the way, but, but just so you me. know, I will, I will still hear. Okay. Yes. So anyway, so the, it ended up being, now, co-worker for me is kind of like a loose term because I work from home, but I work for an office that is stationed out in Virginia. And so she was just being super sweet and she just sent me a little Hobby Lobby gift card to say, hey, I really appreciate all the the work that you do, which I thought was really nice. Well, there's no Hobby Lobby in my state and there's no Hobby Lobby anywhere close to me, but thank goodness there is the internet. And I kind of had it on my desk and I forgot about it for a little while because my desk is kind of a mess. Um, And then I got to thinking about Christmas cards because I make our Christmas cards every year. And I have a really good time one year uh, after my uh, grandmother had passed. I, 
I got a box full of really interesting arts and crafts supplies uh, that one of them had a bunch of red and green rickrack. And so that year, the Christmas cards all featured a green and red rickrack theme with some old-fashioned looking pictures and stuff. But I, I like to craft them. They're like sort of three-dimensional. I'll have a good old time with them. But uh, So anyway, I was kind of excited to mention this because I got... Um, I got my supplies. I, I actually got online and I ordered some things to make some Christmas cards, and I got them this week. And I'm kind of I'm kind of psyched because I have black cards and I have white cards, but I have this clear Mod Podge stuff that supposedly turns any surface that you paint it into like a blackboard, but it's a clear chalkboard top coat. And so I can, it's like going to take my Christmas cards to a whole other level because <laughs> I'll be able to like paint this onto things and, and write with chalk. And they also has this other stuff that's like this dimensional magic thing that you could like, it'll be 3D stuff. And I'm going to have to up my uh, really my Christmas pretty letter papers. Game. So yeah, I'm wow. excited. So yeah. So that's what I did. I was going to talk about. It was like, yay. So that's going to, my, uh, this week, next week plan is to pull out all my stuff and start working on my Christmas card thoughts. Okay. Well, then I better get my Christmas letter prepared because yep. that's that's my responsibility. Uh, and maybe in the uh, Christmas letter, I will mention Bourbon Empire, the past and future of America's whiskey by uh, Reed Mittenbuehler. But uh, I'd like to read that when not. you're finished. Uh, I, yeah, like I said, I'm, I'm almost uh, through with it. It's really interesting. Like I said, as somebody who... Uh, who does like whiskey and who's always interested uh, in history. You know, this kind of explores um, who people like Pappy Van Winkle uh, and... That's a crazy high bourbon. Oh, it is, right? And Jim Beam and Jack Daniels and Basil Hayden and Evan Williams. Who were these people? Who were these people? Who's Booker? Some of them... um, Booker was the chief distiller for Jim Beam... For I believe twenty years, he's oh. part of the Beam family, okay. and, and and Jim Beam is one of those distilleries that is family owned. Yeah, and that's what's really interesting is that uh, you know a lot of these distilleries are family owned, um, and they've but they've only been family owned in, in a lot of cases since after the, um, uh, the the end of prohibition, or perhaps even you know, they got started during prohibition. Uh, prohibition changed the landscape a lot like from a purely economic perspective you know uh, we often if we're talking about if i'm talking about prohibition i'm often talking about it from a civil liberties perspective and as well as that sort of well what happens when you simply ban something does it get rid of that product right because we're talking about it from a gun control perspective so it's interesting to read this book from and and look at prohibition from an economic perspective what it did to the market because there already was you had a legal market for a product Right. Yes. And then all of a sudden that legal market was banned with limited exceptions. Uh, And those limited exceptions became very, very important because if you had the permission of the government to manufacture medicinal alcohol for medicinal purposes, which is your same, it's your same spirit, right? Right. It's the same exact uh, recipe. Oh, same everything. Laudanum was a medicinal thing, right? Right. But but this is past the laudanum because yeah. it's now in the 1930s. But, you know, you're still making bourbon and you're just, you know, people are getting bourbon. They're just getting it from their doctor instead of from yeah. the... It's a prescription. Uh, right, exactly. Uh, and so it's easier to limit... Again, now, now I'm going back to the civil liberties argument. It's easier to, uh, to, to limit the undesirables, right? The immigrants, 
the blacks, uh, the people who aren't the fine, upstanding uh, Protestants. It's white patriarchy at work, basically, um, to deny you your your civil rights, kind of like gun control. But anyway, I digress. Um, Oh, but I read something similar to that argument in that... Uh, and talk. It was talking about prohibition. I and I don't remember where I read it now, but um, it was talking about how it was a comparison of gun control and prohibition. Sure. And, and it and was how you can't get rid of the demand. Right. Well, that's the thing, and that's gun control it's, is a supply side solution to a demand problem. Actually, you can't get rid of the demand. You can't get um, rid of the demand. If the demand exists, then there's always going to be some somebody to fill the supply to meet the supply. Right. But but from a from an economic perspective, you know what this did was it totally disrupted a market. Oh, right. Uh, but the government—I don't want to say it was crony capitalism—but they did pick and choose winners. They they said, okay, some companies are going to be allowed to continue uh, making liquor. Now nobody at the time thought that prohibition was a temporary thing. They had they had changed the constitution. They yeah. thought that this was a permanent change, so they didn't realize. That when prohibition was ended, you know, what twelve years later, that these companies were going to be in a position where they had reserves, they had, they had capital, the and they had you know operating facilities, yeah. uh, so they would have a leg up on all of these other companies. So it's, it's kind of fascinating to, to read how the industry grew and came about, and the consolidation and the waves of consolidation. Uh, and uh, Reed Mittenbuehler writes about sort of the the Jeffersonian ideal of the uh, distillery business and industry and the Hamiltonian uh, idea. And the Hamiltonian idea being the big consolidated companies, Jeffersonian ideal being these sort of smaller craft distilleries. And, and, and what's interesting is how the two... Well, it's kind of funny that... Continue to operate together. Well, kind of not, but still, yeah, you're right. Like, but after, right after Prohibition, it was more of the Hamilton, and then recently Very it's much. more of the Jeffersonian. Yeah, and even now, I think uh, Mittenbuehler says, like, 95% of spirits that are produced in the United States are, are made by uh, 13 companies, yeah, I think, ultimately. That, yeah. So, you know, it's a really small number. But that's not to say that, well, they just package them all differently and send the same stuff out the door there are differences there are. in the brands but some of them are it's some of it it's not like we've had this conversation before where if you look at the label and it's some some big company somewhere then it's the same booze it's just a different label it's it's the same booze but what you do with the booze matters too, particularly when you're talking about a bourbon. Oh, so, so it's top shelf versus bottom shelf aging and how you switch out the barrels it, it, and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And so there's still a lot of control for the individual company, even if they are bottling it as opposed to distilling it. Well, it's kind of like. And there's apparently there's there's uh, there's some debate. Again, I'm I'm more of a bourbon drinker than I am a bourbon connoisseur apparently bourbon sommeliers are a thing now i'm not and surprised i, I think i should out. apply for that job but um mm, the filibuster is uh delicious it's it's bodacious with uh, a hint of tobacco and uh elvis presley sweat i believe i think that's uh that's the either we have a 
a ghost in the ceiling, no, or that's our daughter getting bathroom. ready for bed. <laughs> that's why I'm like, what is going on? Okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. It is, uh, actually, it is time to uh, put the kids to bed. Uh, so we should uh, take a break here uh, in just a second. But, Unless you uh, want me to keep talking. <laughs> no, it's all right. You do you, have, do you have more on your mind? No, no, no. I just like you. You wanted to walk away. I figured I'd just you know fill in some space. With well, some it is it fun is fun Christmas stuff. It is time to take a break. Yeah, no, I know. It is okay to take a break. Take a break. Uh, so anyway, yeah, Bourbon Empire: The Past and Future of America's Whiskey. You'll find out uh, where the bourbons that you uh, drink and enjoy came from, and learn a little bit of history about the country, uh, and a lot of history about Kentucky. In this book as well. Is it is it easy to read though, or oh, yeah. is it like footnote? No, no, flipping? it's not. It's not. There are a couple of footnotes, but it's not footnote heavy. I tried to read. You see, here's a page at random without with foot, a huge with, footnote. With one, <laughs> with one. Here's another page at random without a footnote. Okay. Here's another without a footnote. I tried to read a really what looked like it was going to be an interesting book about the history of alcohol in the United States, mm-hmm. and it was like this bone dry, like, and there would be half page of footnotes, and I can't. It's hard to keep the a rhythm of are, reading. The footnotes are okay. The bone dry part is tough. But oh. uh, no, this is not a bone dry book at all. And it's nice. interesting how it he he goes kind of back and forth between now and and what the the bourbon uh, industry looks like right now today and kind of comparing and contrasting where it's appropriate to uh, various points in history. So, for instance, mm. I don't want to give a whole lot of the book away, but he starts by talking about uh, George Washington's distillery mm. and how George Washington, at one point in time, was one of the biggest distillers in the country. Yep. Uh, I think 11,000 gallons a year he produced, which was, you know, pretty substantial at the time. But Our youngest son told me about that. Right. And so in 2007, uh, Mount Vernon decided it was going to rebuild George it's, Washington's it's distillery. Still, yep. Um, the Distilled Spirits Council of America, I think is who, who what the name of it is, decided that they were going to pay for this because mm. it's good marketing, hey, you know, associating the father of the country with distillery. Yeah. And it's not that it's a false association like no, George he, Washington distilled here actually yeah. is true. Well, most people distilled their own stuff, though. Like if you didn't do it yourself, you didn't have it. Like, Or you had a neighbor. Your wife, you know, as, a, as my job every day mm-hmm. would be to start some beer when I made my bread. Right. And my job would be to uh, to drink it when I came home from plowing the fields and do whatever else needed to be done. Exactly. Um, so anyway, it, it, so so he, he again, he kind of starts at a point in history and then kind of chronologically, he'll kind of move back and forth. Uh, and then he'll offer just some advice on what to look for when you're drinking. And he's a very, un- what I like about the book is it would be very easy for this to be a pretentious, snooty book. And it's not. Well, it's bourbon. It's not champagne. But it's but but people can make anything snooty, and especially now that you've got a craft movement, you know, associated with it, mm. uh, in small batch, and you know, yeah, like yeah. people. I mean, really, seriously, you can be snooty. People are snooty about bourbon. This is not a snooty book, but it is an interesting book. I think uh, it will help you look for things to actually appreciate if you want to do more than just guzzle down your bourbon. Um, so yeah, it's it's a book that I would uh, recommend. Again, pick it up right after you buy 18 copies of uh, Heavy Lifting. <laughs> or 27. Like, whatever. That's a, that's a, yeah. What's the largest prime number that uh, you oh. can think of? The largest prime number? Yeah. 97. Well, there you go. 
just to, to celebrate the, the largest prime number out there, 97 copies of heavy lifting. <laughs> All right, when we come back here on 40 Acres and a Fool, we're going to find out uh, what is a must-have on your Thanksgiving dinner plate as well as uh, more of your Thanksgiving thoughts. We but, are so, yes. I was going to say, but if, if you do buy 97 copies of Heavy Lifting mm-hmm. and they send you a picture of, mm-hmm. they, that the I'll, I'll, I'll knit them a Christmas stocking. Wow. All right. Well, there you go. There's the, uh, the gauntlet has been thrown down. 97 copies of Heavy Lifting get you a Christmas stocking knitted by Miss E. What is, what is purchasing 50 copies of uh, Heavy Lifting get you? Um, a pair of slipper socks? Um, yeah, I guess I could do slipper socks. <laughs> I don't know. Hat? Hat. Uh, like a, a, w- a winter like a, hat? Like, like, like a watchman hat? hat? Yeah, like a watchman's wool hat. All right. What about 25 copies? We have a premium for 25 copies. <sighs> scarf. A scarf. Scarf. All right. 10 copies? A uh, bookmark. A knitted bookmark. Yeah, that's it. All right, but again, we need we need photographic proof. Yeah, you got photographic proof. It's got to be somewhere out there. All so right. there you go. Well, there you go. That's and it. And then you go. have to remember all that because I'm not going to remember tomorrow except for the stocking. We can always go back and listen. Oh, there you go. Okay. And, and <laughs> I'm making promises late at night. Yeah, sure. I'm going to make a bookmark for people who buy how many? Ten, right? Ten. There you go. Yeah. All right. I mean, the bar still set pretty high. That's a, a pretty good that's, investment, you know, you know. That's a lot of you presents that to much, buy for people. Exactly. You invest that much in heavy lifting. I think that you know, bookmark. That's that's lovely, and I'll I'll, I'll include a uh, a uh, letter of thanks Ooh, uh, look, as well, a signed letter of thanks. So there you, there you go. go. You got an autographed letter of thanks and a knitted bookmark. And I will uh, forge Jim Garrity's signature as well. How sure, about that? we can probably that figure letter. that out. Sure, I'll let you. It'll be like I'll say I'll sign it like fake Jim Garrity. Yeah, but I'll, I'll make it look kind of <laughs> like Jim's signature. <laughs> I All right. wouldn't even know what his signature looks Stick like. Stick around with that. <laughs> Stick around. We'll be back with more Forty Acres and a Fool, or uh, as we call it around here, the fake tea jams from the Blaze Radio Network. <laughs> 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. Fox Sexton. And there have been terrorist attacks against Russian aircraft in the Sinai and a Russian civilian airliner, and there have been attacks in Turkey. So the whole region is obviously in a state of turmoil and, and violence. And it seems like the Obama administration's policy has largely been to defer to the actions of the international community, and their actions have largely been no actions. Buck Sexton, weekdays, noon to 3 p.m. Eastern, on the Blaze Radio Network. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards returns now on the Blaze Radio Network. Cam Edwards, Missy, at the kitchen table with uh, some of your thoughts here on 40 Acres and a Fool. Uh, First of all, again, thank you for the uh, kind Thanksgiving wishes. Uh, Got a lot of emails from folks like Rob who say uh, to my dear friends, the Edwards, thanks for your 40 Acres Thanksgiving special. Uh, Rob said, I'm only halfway through with it. I'm loving it. Missy is awesome, of course. Of course. And Cam is a rock-solid stuffing fan. I hope uh, Missy's feeling better. Glad the ankle wasn't broken. And that you did not have to eat dinner at Hooters. That's going to be the thing that's going to haunt me for the rest of my life now, isn't it? It is. Only because you choose to let it haunt you. Know, you know, my dad called me. 
my stepdad called me yeah. about that. Really? And he was like, oh, I thought the fuck. Yeah, it was Jim was talking about the book. And somebody asked Jim about the yes. Hooters story. And Jim had to and say, And Jim like, was well, like, that's not, not my story. Really. But my stepfather was like, wah ha ha, Hooters story. I'm like, ha ha ha, yeah, so funny. It was, um, it's one of those things, like, again, when you're, when you're living the moment, and I won't, I don't want to spoil it because it's 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 in heavy lifting. But uh, we've talked about this before. Our first Christmas, uh, we forgot t- about Christmas dinner, and we no, start, it that we start I driving. It was just not in my thing. Like I never cooked Christmas dinner. I went to one of many relatives' houses for Christmas. Well, dinner. that's what I'm saying. We didn't think. So about I didn't it. think about it at all. Right. I was just concentrating on making sure the kids got presents. We didn't even have any food in the house. I know. I, I remember. <laughs> So, yeah, as a result, but as you're driving, my first and last time ever eating at Hooters. As you're driving through the the you know empty streets of Oklahoma City on, on Christmas night, and it's you and your new wife, and your kids are in the back seat, and you, man, you just want to make it right. You just want to, just to, like, you know it's, you know it's not going to be perfect at this point. Now you're just trying to salvage it, and you see the Hunan Garden sign, and and you look over, and there's just that look of, I am not, I am not eating dinner at a Chinese restaurant on Christmas. Like you, you just were adamant. Yeah. And so we are like, okay, I'm not Mostly it was driving. Like, I am not going to, I'm not going to do your movie. Christmas story. Yeah. I'm not doing Christmas at a, <laughs> I'm not doing Christmas dinner at a Chinese restaurant. So we kept driving, and we kept driving a few more miles. Wasn't and anything open. Was not anything open. And then the, the. Only thing. Orange and white lights of Hooters on the horizon. Cheeseburgers and tears in my beer. <laughs> it's the only thing I remember about that place. I remember, I remember, I remember that attitude from you. But do you not remember this type of attitude from me too? Saying make the best of a bad situation. Nah. And, <laughs> and the youngest boy at the time, who is like, oh, what, six? And a half. Well, the only boy at the time. Well, he was the only because he was the the, the the first two. He was like, the youngest child. He at was the, the time, youngest yeah. kid at the time. He was like six and a half. He was perfectly happy to be at Hooters. Yeah, he was. He that was like the best Christmas ever. What's really funny was that years later, when I went to go visit my sister, she took the kids to a Hooters down at the National Aquarium area, and she she got the she bought the picture, and it was here as that kid surrounded by a bunch of boobs. In a framed photo. I was like, yay, thank you so much for that. But he had a big grin on his face. Oh, there you go. So, no, no uh, no Thanksgiving at Hooters. I don't even know where the nearest Hooters is from here, honest to goodness. But uh, I don't even know where we'd go for Thanksgiving. I guess restaurant down in Farmville. Yeah, we'd probably go to Charlie's Waterfront. They are open on Thanksgiving. They, they serve several hundred dinners on Thanksgiving afternoon. I, I get it. I mean, I guess if you're just like... They have a lot of college students who don't make it home yeah. for the holidays. And so you've got groups of college students who will go and they'll eat together. And then you've got retirees whose families aren't there. And you actually do have families who are like, hey, you know what? Nobody wants to cook anymore. Let's just all meet at Charlie's. Yep, it's true. I know you're looking at me with that shock look on my face. but Well, your face, I, I, but, uh, I, it's, it's just sort of mostly sort of a little bit incredulous, only that um, I actually can't, like, you know, throw stones at that because at one point in our family's history, I had people who it wasn't 
Thanksgiving, but it was Christmas, so it was sort of about the same. I have my one... Okay, so our family Christmases were split between my dad's house, my grandmother's and grandfather's house, and my aunt and uncle's house. And so every year they would rotate it around. But when it came to one of those houses, they opted to for catering from Mrs. Funari, which was the closest grocery store. Mm-hmm. So they would get those... You know, roast turkey, sausage, right. or stuffing wasn't even, there wasn't anything that stuffing but bread and. It's probably like a cornbread stove toppy, right? Well, cornbread if it was in the South, but since this is oh, uh, New Jersey, it was, it was bread cubes and bread cubed, yeah. butter. That was it. That was it. But whatever. When I was really poor and going there and they had, she like bought three of those dinner packages, I always, could always take home a whole turkey, so. Right. I hate turkey, but it's protein. <laughs> and you like to smoke turkey. And when you're poor. Now. Yeah, right. I like to smoke now. So there we go. Uh, so anyway, thank you, uh, Rob, uh, for the uh, kind wishes. Uh, Robin also wrote in as well, said, uh, all right, Cam and Missy, I know that there's a perfectly good explanation for you not using electric heaters for your animals. Uh, I've used them for years. I don't know how I would get along without them. A drain heater for the horses and a bucket heater for the chickens. Well, the perfectly good explanation, Robin, is that the name of this program is called 40 Acres and a Fool, which means I'm a fool. And it also I don't means, know a lot. Well, of these it also things. means that so, everything I've seen about heating chicken coops is chickens dying a fiery death, and we don't have horses. Right. Um, and goats are ruminant animals, and they create their own heat, and the hogs are all fat, so we haven't had to worry about it. And my basic philosophy about it all is. They're animals, and they'll figure it out. Yeah. I mean, generally speaking. Um, we provide I guess straw. We provide the right stuff for everybody's houses and things. But Yeah, and when it gets particularly cold, I mean, again, we'll always throw down more straw for the, uh, for the critters that are outside. The coop gets an extra layer of straw. We make sure that it's shut well, up at night. But we night. also got cold-tolerant birds. Right. Uh, so, no, we, we have not uh, used electric heaters. We haven't really had to use electric heaters. No. I, I'm curious, Robin, um, you know, about uh, stringing. Are, are the electric heaters uh, also solar powered? Are they? Do you have to run, you know, extension cords across the yard to the coop? Tell, t- I, I'm curious. Tell me more about why electric heaters uh, are, are such a, a good thing. I can, um, s- I can see why electric lights would be a good thing in the wintertime for chickens because that's what the, the, the big uh, chicken egg people do. Mm-hmm. They have the artificial lights because... So well, because they'll still lay. Like, right. our girls aren't laying as much because, it, seriously, with the rain, mm-hmm. it's been dark at 3.30 in the afternoon yeah, in this I house. Know. I've had to turn on the lights in my office. And I my know. office is... Two walls of windows. It's been so dark that I've had to turn on the lights. But that's why the chickens aren't performing as well in the winter is because they don't. It's not as much long hours of daylight. And so when people turn on lights in their chicken coops, I understand that mentality. It's because they want to trick their chickens into thinking the days are longer and they'll keep laying. Mm. But the heat thing. Yeah, I don't want to burn them all up to death. Uh, Robin also says, I remember even all these years later what a pain winter water was. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is why, again, I'm happy with rain and not snow. Well, yes. Kept a piece of wood in the porcelain bathtub, uh, the horse's uh, water, to keep the bathtub from cracking, Robin, Robin says. says, don't know if it's an old farmer's tale. We kept the hose in the basement to keep it from freezing, uh, drug it out, and pulled it back in twice a day. Generally, the water is frozen solid by the next time. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
had to get the had to fight to get the ice out of the bucket. He says it. It definitely was character building. Yep, that it is. Uh, Robin and also building because we're yeah. for us. It's it's bringing forty pound barrels of water on both arms because it's five mm-hmm. gallons times eight pounds a gallon, so right. we're forty pounds each to wherever we need to go to get the hogs watered and the goats watered and right. the chickens watered. So, that's why that's why winter quarters for the animals are are usually a little closer to the house because <laughs> it's <laughs> that way we don't have to truck the water uh, from here to eternity. Uh, Robin says, I lost a hen last week. I'm sorry to hear that, Robin. Less than a year old, not a mark on her. Uh, a friend suggested that it was an impacted egg. Oh, yeah, that happens. Robin says, I never heard about that before. My uh, baby, 25, Robin says, was really mad at me for not calling the vet. I tried to explain about chickens how many replacement vets. chickens I could yeah. buy for one farm call. Didn't matter to her, says uh, Robin. No, it, yeah, it, it, my it, vets probably would have like giggled at you. I mean, honestly, I've actually had these conversations with them. Like, there are vets around here that tour the chicken farms and make bank, right? But as far as pet chickens, most veterinarians are like, um, just get a new chicken. Well, that's the thing. I mean, if you're talking about a a, a chicken vet, you are talking about someone generally who is going to the big chicken farms, yeah. and they are interested in flock health right uh and so They'll if, they, if an individual bird. bird is sick the individual bird is dying it's going to be killed yeah. and culled and any other potential birds that might be sick are going to be killed Cold. and culled they're not going to be sent to a chicken infirmary no. uh for rest and relaxation at chicken sanatorium yeah uh, you can get a chicken for like two bucks so. yeah and if you want to start from scratch right they're kind of, uh, I don't want to say they're like the, the, the goldfish of the but they kind of animal are. world. Although, but, uh, I get more eggs out of them than I ever do out of any goldfish. Well, there is that. Yeah. But uh, you still have to wait until they're old enough. Yeah. And they're still fascinating. I mean, I love watching the chickens. I love the chicken drama. I love oh, the man, chicken hilarious. soap operas. I mean, it's, it's... Less soap operas now that we only have the one rooster, but the nine hens. Ugh. Right. Although that one Buff Orpington hen that seemed to find it necessary to beat up the black Australorp seems to have, like, laid back a bit because the black Australorp has actually got all her feathers back. Well, that's a very good thing because yeah, she, she was, was looking, looking sad. Really sad. <laughs> uh, we also heard from uh, our near neighbor Felicity and John, and uh, it sounds fantastic. I think we're actually going to get together and meet up for the first time, so... I look forward to doing that in the near future. And again, uh, you want to send us a note, let us know what's going on in your neck of the woods. We would love to hear from you. The email address is 40acrefool at gmail.com. 40acrefool at gmail.com. We need to uh, walk the dogs one more time and uh, get ready to head to bed here since the, uh, the kids are already off in bed and you know, even though the sun goes down at like 3.30 in the afternoon, I think it's because it's dark so early, and then it's still dark when you have to get up in the morning. I, I, I could get like nine hours sleep a night, and I don't think I'd feel rested right now. I know. It's so weird. Yeah. I can't imagine living in Alaska when you have, or like the northern outreaches of Siberia and Russia, where you right. have like really long like 18 hour or like four months of, of dark, darkness, right. you know, and then like, or six months of just light. That would be weird. Yeah. I'm used to seasons, but this this winter, fall, like, not that long ago, didn't we have, like, nine days in a row of rain? Yeah. Like, this has been a very... Now, I know the Farmer's Almanac said that we were going to have a very wet 
winter season, mm-hmm. uh, I'm not looking forward to a bunch of gray days. <laughs> well, hopefully uh, the farmer's almanac is uh, is wrong on that count. But you they know, have been. In the I understand this would be bucking hyper, a, I, I understand this would be bucking a trend, but. Hopefully they're wrong. (laughs) Uh, In the meantime, thanks again for being a part of this edition of 40 Acres and a Fool. We'll see you back here in about a week or so. Until we talk again, you can always check out NRA News Cam and Company weekdays live at 2 p.m. Eastern on nranews.com. Also, midnight Eastern, 9 Pacific on Sirius X and Patriot 125 on demand all the time on iHeartRadio and on the NRA News Roku channel as well. And until then... Be safe, have fun, live a little, learn a lot. And we'll talk to you here soon on another edition of 40 Acres and a Fool. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. 